Hey, my friends, thanks for joining me for another episode of Real Live Talk. Really appreciate you for being here, and I'm pumped that you're here for this episode to check out this conversation with my new friend, Terry Skeggs. Terry is a marriage and family therapist, and as a Christian therapist, he has a unique perspective on therapy and on the church's role in mental health or what the church's role should be when it comes to mental health and helping people walk in and experience freedom. I think that this is a very powerful conversation and a really important conversation. Uh, In this episode, Terry also kind of goes into his past, shares some of his testimony about how he met Jesus, but also how he dealt with uh, his own mental health struggles, including uh, an eating disorder, anxiety, and depression. And I think that you are going to get tremendous, tremendous value out of this episode. I was very blessed by this conversation. And honestly, I learned a lot. And Terry helped me uh, a lot with my perspective on things. And so, again, appreciate you guys so much for being here. If this episode blesses you, if the content blesses you or adds any kind of value to your life, if you would consider maybe subscribing, leaving a comment or a review or something of that nature, that would mean the world to me and it really goes a long way to uh, help this channel continue to grow and get these conversations in front of more and more people. So thank you guys so much and uh, yeah, now let's go ahead and jump into it. I hope that you enjoy this conversation with Terry Skiggs. I'm good, brother. It's a dope hat you got. Hey, thank you. Before we do anything important here, um, is it is it Skiggs or Skaggs, your last name? Ske- Skaggs. Skaggs. So I was wrong on both times. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it's more the Minnesota accent and pronunciation. We always, you know, and I got to catch myself because I always say like bag. Well, it's bag. Right. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, that proximity so yeah, to Canada. That gets yeah, it, exactly. Yep. So, um, yeah, so I always, I mean, my whole life, it's always been skags, but some people call skags. Um, it's whatever, whatever you want to call me. <laughs> <laughs> but it is spelled skags. Like it's, it's spelled with an A, right? Yep. Yep. And I've heard, I've heard people say, like, I, I heard one other person say skags, but I felt like you were saying more like skags skigs or skegs or something like that so anyway <laughs> okay gotcha i do yeah, want to say it's, it's a dope name terry 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 skegs like sounds like maybe like a country music star or something like that it's kind of got that vibe to it yeah well there's uh there's ricky skegs um so you I know, know him is. okay yeah um <laughs> he he's like a country bluegrass singer and i get asked all the time am i related to him and i i don't think i am oh, unfortunately hilarious. Yeah. And I, and I think he's, I think he's saved. I think he's a pretty strong believer actually. So, um, that's awesome. Yeah. You should reach out to him for the podcast and pretend you're like related. Yeah, dude. I'm like, you get in there. Just be like, oh, I found out we're not related, man. Sorry about that. We want to do the podcast anyway. <laughs> right. Like I'm your third cousin twice removed or something like that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, let me go ahead and uh, officially kind of kick this off. And I do want to welcome the listeners. Thank you guys so much for taking a moment to check out this episode, this conversation with my uh, new friend, Terry Skeggs. And uh, Terry is a uh, marriage and family therapist, uh, really with an enormous passion for bringing hope and healing into people's lives. He's also the host of the podcast Testimonies with Terry, where he interviews people about their life story sharing how their faith in Jesus Christ has turned their struggles into victories and testimonies. 
And um, man, you and I, we got connected through a mutual friend, uh, Trevor Tyson, who we both interviewed on our podcast. And uh, I found out we also we both interviewed Britt Eaton on our on our uh, podcast as well. I found out you did an episode with her. And uh, it's just cool to kind of have those mutual connections, you know, and I'm grateful for uh, for Trevor. Trev, if you happen to be uh, listening to this, thank you for making this possible. And again, Terry, thanks so much for your time and just for being with me today. I'm stoked for what we're going to talk about. Yeah, man, I'm excited, too. And again, shout out to Trevor. He's like the master networker and uh, he's amazing. So shout out yeah. to him. And I'm pumped to be on the show. Yeah, man. Yeah, for real. Yeah, thanks again, Trev. Um, yeah, that dude is is a, another level of uh, yeah. just awesome and compassionate and everything. Very, very cool. He's legit. Um, yeah. Well, dude, I would love it if we could kind of go to the beginning for a few minutes. I'd love to know. Well, first of all, well, I know you just mentioned Minnesota. Is that where you grew up? Did you grow up in that area? or? Yep, I grew up in a small town called Foley. Uh, not a whole lot to it. It's kind of your typical small town, country town. I think it's probably most notable for the county jail being directly in front of the school. Uh, the <laughs> I, I know that the elementary, intermediate, and high schools are all connected together, and the county jail is like right in front of it. <laughs> They're just sending a message. They're like, you guys are basically going directly from the school to the jail. Like at exactly. least at least 20% of you guys. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. I'm not sure uh why they why they um just a good self it that boost. way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But um yeah, just kind of your typical average small town country town. Grew up with my mom and dad and my three sisters. I'm the only boy in the family, and uh just kind of lived your you know small town life. That's awesome. And did you guys grow up like were you in a Christian home? Did you guys go to church or did that come later on? Yeah. So I grew up Catholic and, you know, we would go to church every well, we would usually go Saturday night mass. And then I would do like the religion classes or faith formation classes mm -hmm. uh, Wednesday nights. And I would go through, you know, first communion and confirmation and all that stuff, but never had a relationship with with Jesus. You know, I would spend yeah. the, the, the whole time in mass in my mind, like growing up, Kiss was my favorite band. And I would spend the whole mass, like going through the whole album in my head. I'm, I'm a drummer, I mm -hmm. play the drums. And so I would just like, kind of go through the whole album in my head to get through the hour because it was so boring and repetitive. And I just didn't have that relationship with God. But I am thankful that I grew up going to, um, you know, a Catholic church, because it did set a foundation, you know, just the moral foundation and just having somewhat of an idea of who yeah. God was. But that relationship with God didn't come until I was in college, you know, and I was really struggling with, uh, you know, a couple different things an eating disorder, depression, anxiety. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of my friends in my uh, one of my college classes invited me to a Bible study. And I figured, OK, sure. I never read the Bible before, but I figured I'd go and I walked in there and what really stood out to me was that everyone was so nice, like genuinely nice. And they all seemed to talk about Jesus like they knew him. And mm. I, was, I thought that in my mind, I thought, well, that's kind of weird. But there was also part of me that wanted that for myself. And so, yeah. man, I just dug into it. And uh, I think November 7th, 2010 is when I gave my life to the Lord. Man, 
Man, that's so cool. And there's actually like a ton to unpack there. And I want to circle back to a few things. But you just you mentioned some of your music choices and the fact that you're a drummer. And uh, I wanted to ask you, I was thinking about it because the your podcast intro music is heavier than the typical, you know, podcast intro music that's out there. So I was just curious anyway, like what kind of what kind of music you're into. I figured just based on that, because I figured like you're I would imagine that you're into heavier music because I, I figured <laughs> I figured you probably wouldn't put like your heaviest taste in music for your podcast. And anyway, it's just like this inner conversation that I had. I'm just curious, like what, what kind of music are you into these days? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm into pretty much anything as long as it has a good beat, but definitely rock is is my home. All, all genres of rock, metal, metalcore, um, cl classic rock. I grew up really on like 80s hair metal, you know, Kiss, Def <laughs> Leppard, nice. uh, those kind of bands. Yeah. And that that's still probably like my favorite music. Now the lyrics to those songs aren't you know, the greatest, but the music, I know there's something about it. And that's why I chose that song for my intro, because it just kind of had, to me, it kind of had like that Def Leppardy vibe where there's a little bit of like that soft pop rocky feel to it. And there's, but there's still a little bit, little bit of a punch there too. But man, um, mostly rock. Uh, I really got into uh, GFM, Gold Frankincense and Myrrh this, this mm. year. My Apple Music said that they were my most listened to band. And uh, unfortunately, they just disbanded. But um, Maggie English, I had her on my show. She's going solo as Magdalene Rose. And so I'm super pumped for that. Um, oh, that's cool. You know, Skillet, Disciple, Striper. I love Striper. Um, yeah, man, rock is definitely where yeah. I where I camp out with my music taste. That's awesome, man. Yeah, dude, Striper. I, I For some reason, I never, I never got into Striper like when I was growing up like when i was in high schools when i started getting into the more like heavier stuff and i started going to shows kind of in my probably junior senior year i started going to to concerts and you know we'd go like i lived in new jersey and i was about an hour from philly and so every once in a while like we'd a couple of friends of mine that could drive or whatever like we'd hop in a car and we'd we'd drive to philly and and go check out some bands and stuff like that and i got really kind of into the music scene for uh, for a while and I was at shows like every weekend like as often as I could be and I got into some like really heavy stuff as well but for some reason like I never I always heard the band the name Striper and they're kind of like the original Christian metal band and yeah. like <laughs> and I never really uh gravitated toward them until more recently honestly is, is when I started checking them out but but anyway that's cool man I figured we were kind of like kindred spirits on uh <laughs> <laughs> for sure man things. yeah <laughs> for sure i love it um i'm curious man so you mentioned like going to the and i'm just asking this out of curiosity because i really don't know on the on like those um i forget what you called it like those in the catholic kind of training developmental classes and things like things like that that you were taking yeah were, do you find that those were were they helpful like as far as now, like, were you learning? Did you learn things in those classes that, you know, translated very well? Like, were they teaching you the Bible? Were they teaching you things? I, I know you mentioned that, you know, there was a good foundation that was formed in you. Just curious about what kind of things you were being taught in, in those classes and how it translates to, you know, where you are today and to, you know, ultimately, you know, like having that 
theological foundation did it did it translate that way for you yeah that's a good question so we never actually like read the bible in religion class or faith formation class whatever you want to call it they would just have like these workbooks and they would have all these different lessons in it i think what really stood out to me was we would have to like memorize prayers so like in the catholic church you know you, that's kind of a big thing with you know and even just like memorizing the 10 commandments and they have like their seven sacraments and things like that and so i think just memorizing some of those things especially like the 10 commandments i think that's what really set that foundation because even though i didn't have that relationship with christ i had that kind of that foundation of just like moral good and wrong you know or what's bad and and what's good and so i i think that played a role throughout my my life you know you know it's kind of cool as you bring this up i'm just you know i feel like the holy spirit's just bringing this up to me like looking back at like my time in high school i was kind of the one guy in the group who what was was kind of the cautious one and wouldn't get into as much trouble as the other ones where um they kind of threw caution to the wind and i always kind of had that like now looking back at it i i feel like you know it was the holy spirit but just always kind of like kind of protecting me and giving me that discernment on i wouldn't go to that party if i were you um i remember mm. there was actually a party i was planning on going but i felt like i wasn't supposed to go and the cops actually busted that party you know in high school and so uh the lord's hand has definitely been on me even before i knew him and um yeah, it's just crazy to think that that's the love of the father, right? Like, even though I wasn't actively living for him, that his love for me is so big that he still protected me in that, um, in those moments. Wow. It's, it's awesome to think about. Wow, that's so cool. I had a different kind of a upbringing. So like, I grew up in a Christian home, you know, always went to church as long as I can remember all that kind of stuff. But like, as a, I remember specifically as a teenager, even as a, as a kid before I got to my teenage years, and then definitely as a teenager, I remember struggling a lot just with condemnation. And it and I had something similar, but maybe more in a in a twisted way, where I actually did end up staying away from a lot of things. Because I had like this incredible fear on me that I was gonna like, ruin my life or I was going to disappoint God or I felt like I was disappointment to God anyway, even when I was trying to do the right things, you know? And so um, I, I know that a lot of times kind of living with that condemnation and I can't even say that it was something that was preached at me. I think there were elements I grew up in kind of um, I grew up in a for sure Pentecostal atmosphere and I would, you know, we'd go to a lot of different churches and conferences and things like that. And there was definitely some condemnational, you know, kind of, teaching and stuff like that that was basically just kind of typical of the pentecostal you know movement of of those days of the 90s and early 2000s but i can't say that i i took it to a totally another level let me just say that but i and i know that that kind of thing like living under that kind of you know guilt and condemnation and stuff for so long it usually has has a really i mean it had a terrible effect on my mind and on my psyche and how i how i felt and you know i i always just felt again like i was a disappointment to god i felt like i was that translated into feeling like i was just disappointing in general and all that kind of stuff but like somehow i did allow it the one good thing that i would say about it is i did allow it to somehow like insulate me um i did have struggles as a teenager and i did get into some sin stuff but i never like I never got into drinking. I never did drugs. I never even like smoked a cigarette. I never got into like, you know, 
sex or anything like that. I just always kind of was so afraid <laughs> of certain things. And then it kind of like sustained me. It kind of felt like the that looking back, it's kind of like the process of the law, like how the law was this kind of condemnational thing, but it it was valuable to sustain the people of God until the time of grace. <laughs> and so eventually yeah. when I got into my, you know, maybe early, early, late, you know, 1920, and I really started to kind of have encounters with God and, and with his grace. And a lot of that junk started to get peeled off of me. <laughs> it's a long story. Sorry, I'm taking, I didn't, I didn't intend to do this, but you're good, I man. Just, yeah. But anyway, I just, um, I don't know why. Somehow I, I resonate with what you said there on a diff, in a different way, but how I, I in some ways I feel like the the good thing that came out of it is that I did end up kind of staying away from a lot of things that I, you know, otherwise may not have. If that makes yeah. sense. <laughs> yeah. And and I think I can relate to that too, because looking back at it, there there definitely was a, a fear instilled in me of like, I don't want to go to hell. Like I didn't know the love of the father. My my idea of God at that time was, uh, again, like I have to earn my way to heaven. And yeah. God's just this yeah. huge guy that, you know, sitting up there just waiting to kind of like smite me to hell after I, I screw up. And so I, I did have that fear. And when I finally did start reading the Bible and going to, you know, Bible studies and learning about the grace of God, again, I was just blown away. I'm just like, really? Like, this is who God is? Like, this is wow. how much he loves me? Yeah. Like, even after all the things that I've done, all the hidden sins, like all the, you know, bad thoughts that I've had and, you know, things like that, that he still loves me. He still chooses mm. me. It, it was, it was mind blowing, man. And I'm, I'm so thankful for his grace. I'm so thankful that uh, I actually have that relationship with God that I, that I, I uh, am in relationship with God and not just in religion with God. Mm, man, that's so good. Yeah, it's so crazy. It's so crazy, man, how we just carry around. We just carry around just so much nonsense about God without realizing it and just thinking that it's what our Bible says. And then when we read the Bible through that lens, you know, when we read the Bible through that lens that you have to do everything right or God's going to be mad at you or God's going to send you to hell or God's going to be disappointed. He's distant. He's angry. You know, when we read the Bible through that kind of lens. We we misinterpret so much of scripture to kind of fuel that thing. And we end up seeing what we I don't know if it's what we want to see, but we see what we're already convinced of. And it's so important, I think, to approach scripture from that place, from that place of God is my father and he loves me. And there are difficult passages of scripture. And, you know, there's there are passages that I, you know, have wrestled with for years. And there's stuff that I read and I don't understand. And there's stuff that I'm like, how do you know, I, I have to kind of really allow the Holy Spirit to to open things up to me. And sometimes it takes a very long time with certain passages that are like, how do I, <laughs> like, how do I, how does this, like, how do I put these two things together? You know? And, and so there are difficult passages of scripture. I get it. It's not all like touchy feely and it's not like every verse is saying that God loves you. But if we come, if we approach God, we approach his word from that, from that lens of, 
I am fully accepted by a God who loved me so much that he sent his son to die on a cross in my place so that I could be with him forever. Like he's done everything for me. And the only reason that I'm even able to pick up this Bible and read it is because of his goodness and because of his grace and kind of approaching him that way, as opposed to, man, I got to read this Bible or God's going to be pissed at me, you know? Like right. it's, it's so different and we carry around, I carried for so many years, man, and I'm sure I still do, but I carried for so many years, just so much, just nonsense and stuff that's not even true about the nature of God that really, you know, negatively affected me and, and caused me to kind of keep or hold myself back, keep God at, at an arm's length or whatever. And yeah, man, so I, I appreciate what you're saying there. Yeah, I mean, it's. I think it comes back to taste and see that the Lord is good, right? Like once you really get that taste yeah. uh, of God's goodness, and and you see God's goodness, you don't want anything else, and and it helps to approach Scripture in a different way, and and knowing that it is living and it's breathing and it's active and alive, and um, the Holy Spirit wants to bring revelation to us, and it just makes it exciting. I mean, that's the. Mm-hmm awesome thing about the Bible, right? It's, you're never going to know all of it. You're never going to like understand exactly everything because it's, you know, it, it, it can change based off the season of life and, and the revelations that the Holy Spirit wants to give you. So I love it, man. Yeah, it's so good. Well, uh, I, so I do, I do want to circle back to some other stuff. So you, you mentioned that, um, I guess struggling um, in your, I don't know if it was your, your childhood or teenage years, but struggling with some depression and struggling with eating disorders and stuff like that. Do you mind sharing a little bit about how that kind of, how it started, how it came to pass, kind of what that was like? And then ultimately we'll get to how, you know, God began to get a hold of you. I think you said when you were in your 20s is when you really started to build a relationship with God. So, We'll have a uh, a testimony with Terry. Let's do it. <laughs> hey, here we go. Yeah, I love it. So growing up, I I dealt with a lot of anxiety. Anxiety definitely runs in my family. My mom was very anxious. My sisters, uh, I'm pretty sure, have all dealt with anxiety. And I was also overweight as a kid. You know, I remember second grade uh, stepping on the scale. And it said that I was a hundred pounds. And I remember looking mm. at that, even in my seven-year-old mind, I'm just like, whoa, this is not good. And I'd get bullied, I'd get made fun of. And it kind of carried out through my throughout my childhood. And then when I was like 13, 14, um, it was 13, my parents bought a treadmill. And uh, especially in Minnesota, right? Like you can't really work outside in the middle of winter. So um, we got a treadmill and I would start just going for little jogs on it every now and then. And like, I felt good about myself. I'm just like, Hey, like I'm mm. active, I'm moving this, this feels pretty good. And so I just continued to do it more. And I don't know what it was, man, but I, I remember specifically, uh, getting the, the jug of chocolate milk out of the fridge. Like I would always drink chocolate milk. And I, I remember looking at like the nutritional label with all the calories i'm just like whoa like this is Hmm. not good and that just spiraled severely into a deep dark hole where i would look at the calories for everything and Hmm. you know it it led to like substituting this for this you know i remember eighth grade telling my buddies at the lunch table like hey did you know that mcdonald's sweet and sour sauce actually has less calories than their barbecue sauce like it Mm. it was ridiculous like i was just going (laughs) through um just everything trying to 
basically eat as let as few calories as possible. Um, and then that led to counting up the calories, adding them up throughout the day, and then making sure that I ran that exact number off on the treadmill. So essentially I was like equaling everything out to zero by the end of the day. Wow. And, um, yeah, it, it was not good. And so that all started in like January, 2004, by June of 2004, I had gone from 165 pounds to 116 pounds. And, uh, I mean, keep in mind, I I'm a 13 year old at this time. Like I'm in puberty, I'm growing, I'm developing, like I'm wreaking havoc on my body. And throughout that time, you know, my family and people, they'd make comments like, Hey, like what's going on? You're losing weight. Like, are you okay? And Mm. I did what everyone else with the eating disorder does. And I just lied through my teeth and said, yeah, I'm fine. And it's so I'm going to say demonic how eating disorders work, because when people would say that it would actually fuel me to want to lose more weight. It was just like, you think I look like skinny now, just wait, you know, just wait until you see me like next week, I'm going to drop another couple pounds. It's just so demonic and twisted how that mindset is. And Mm. on my, on my 14th birthday, I was spending the night at my grandparents. That was always a special treat during the summer. I'd go to my grandparents. They had cable TV. We didn't, so I could watch, you know, Nickelodeon and stuff like that. And they really just spoiled me. And I was sitting in the living room with my grandma, just watching TV. And she looks over at me and she's like, Terry, are you sure you're okay? I'm like, yeah, yeah. I'm fine, grandma. I'm fine. She let it go. Probably about 15 minutes passes. And then she kind of looks over again, like, are you sure you're okay, Terry? Hmm. And that's when I lost it, man. Like that's wow. when I lost it. I just broke down sobbing. Wow. I I was finally at a point where I was ready to admit that I don't want to do this anymore. <clears throat> you know, for for a while I did want to do it. You know, this was this was again in a demonic twisted way. This was fun. How much weight can I lose? How how you know, how can I shape my body the way that I want it to? But man, it 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 was just exhausting. I didn't want to do it anymore. My day was consumed by when's the next time I can eat. My dreams were all about, man, I wish I could go to a restaurant and have this meal there. Wow. It wow. it consumed my life and I was just done. And I broke down crying. And my grandma called my mom. And the next day they they got me into a doctor. And that's when um I realized that wow, I'm severely like malnourished here just you know again Mm. 116 pounds and basically skin and bones Uh, i remember actually even passing out um at that doctor's appointment just because i i didn't really eat anything and i just had no energy and they got you there just in time huh yeah yeah i'm so thankful i mean i've always been close to my grandparents but man if it wasn't for my grandma um, and that connection that I had with her, I don't know if I'd be here because unfortunately, yeah, that's that's that can be the case with eating disorders. Like if if you don't come to that realization, if you don't have people intervening in your life, you will die. Like this leads to death because your body, your mind is never going to be satisfied with how you look. Yeah. Your mind is never going to be satisfied with that number on the scale. It's always going to push you to go further and further until you're dead. And so I'm super uh, just thankful for my grandma uh, intervening in that moment. I'm so thankful for my parents being willing to give me the treatment that I needed, you know, and they, they tried to get me in with a therapist. And at that time, 
I didn't want therapy. Like I thought it was pointless. I'm just like, I don't want to talk about how I'm feeling and why I'm doing it. Like mm -hmm. I just want a meal plan. I want people to tell me what should I be eating? And so I worked with a nutritionist and a dietitian. They got me set up with a meal plan. And uh, so that was again, June of 2004 by September of 2004, going back to school, I was in a better place. You know, I, I wouldn't say I was fully recovered. Um, I remember coming back to school and people, uh, my classmates still kind of making comments like, whoa, you know, Terry, what happened to you over the summer? But uh, things started to get better after that. And um, then in college, you know, skipping ahead to, to college, uh, again, just, I think it was just stress. It was the stress of working, the stress of keeping up with grades, the stress of like figuring out yeah. what do I want to do with my life. Yeah. And food was the one thing I could control. And I think that's the big thing with eating disorders is that it comes down to control. You know, everything mm -hmm. around you may seem chaotic, but that's yeah. the one thing you can control. And so mm -hmm. that's what I started to do. Uh, I'm thankful that I started to realize it in that moment that, okay, I'm mm. heading down this path. Yeah. And so yeah. this time I actually went to therapy <clears throat> and, uh, man, that therapist just really helped me, uh, just reframe my thoughts and help me to see things in a different way. And I'm super thankful for her. And that's honestly what, what kind of motivated me to really pursue therapy as, as a career for myself. And so, wow. um, yeah, I, I know there's a lot there, so I don't know what, what parts you want to unpack there, Duke. <laughs> oh man, there's so many things. I appreciate you so much for, for, uh, for just your openness and sharing. Um, maybe I'll, I'll work a little bit in, in reverse order with the things that kind of stuck out to me and I'll probably forget to bring some things up, but it'll be okay. Cause yeah. there's plenty of things to talk about. So, but you just mentioned the issue of control and like when you're feeling like things are spiraling out of control around you and kind of gravitating toward that one thing that you feel like you can control, even if it's something that's very destructive, something that could be devastating for you. But it's it's so interesting the way that our that our mind will grab hold of things that are very, very destructive, but somehow it they convince us that it's our comfort zone, that it's our safety zone. And I and I think that that's the issue with Maybe all of the thing, like all of the, you know, if we want to like boil down addictive behavior. I think I don't know about it. I shouldn't say all of it, but I think that a, a lot of it comes down to that issue of control, be because I think that that desire to be in control is something that goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. <laughs> like even before that, like I think it goes all the way back to like Lucifer being expelled from heaven. It's like that original kind of issue. <clears throat> we could say we could put pride there and some other things as well, I'm sure, too, and call those the original issue as well. But, you know, it was kind of like Adam and Eve in, in the garden and they had everything that they could have ever wanted. And it was perfection. But there was this one thing that they didn't understand. And they just felt like they needed to they needed to know like they they didn't. They, they it was it was like that issue of kind of trusting God with something that he didn't fully explain to them <laughs> that they didn't fully understand and they weren't OK with that. And it's like this issue of being in control, having something, you know, just as you were talking there about the eating disorder, I was just kind of thinking, yeah, I can kind of see the same sort of thought pattern develop in somebody who maybe starts cutting themselves or something like that. Right. Where it's something that's so destructive but at the same time, when you feel like everything is out of your control 
and things are going terrible and you don't know how to deal with it in a healthy way, it's kind of gravitating toward that thing that allows you to kind of feel that release for that moment. Cause I feel like being in feeling like you're in control is almost like a high, like it's one of those things that just gives you a release of endorphins or whatever it is, but it just gives you a release of like, I'm, I'm in control. Like I'm taking matters into my own hands right now. And I'm just wondering, like, is, is that kind of what you were alluding to as you were, as you made mention of that a moment ago? Yeah. Yeah. Like, like <laughs> I said, just that, that, that wanting to feel powerful, right? Like, again, I, yeah. I was made fun of, you know, throughout my childhood for, for being overweight and I dealt with anxiety and, and, and things like that. And so to feel like I had some type of power and control in my life, like just fueled the, the obsession and the addiction. And I think for me, once I was able to recognize and accept that, you know, at the end of the day, Terry, you really don't have control over a whole lot. That's when I started to get some freedom and, and healing on my journey with, with an eating disorder, because I mean, if you look at it, Duke, we really aren't in control of a whole lot in this world, right? Like God is in control of it all. You know, I tell people we generally always have control over our attitude, our behavior and our work ethic. Like those wow. are three things that we always um, should have a control. Those are three things that we have a choice in um, regardless of what other people are doing or our circumstances. Like we still choose what's our response going to be in those three areas. Mm. And so once I was able to, to just find the freedom with not being in control and really just letting go and surrendering that over to Christ, that's when I got my healing. That's when I started to get breakthrough. Come on. And so on the, uh, on the eating disorder, like when you, when you were a kid and you dropped all that weight in that, you know, short period of time, because you were counting your calories and you were burning them all off by running and all of that, did you, like, when you looked in the mirror, did you, th did you think that you were skinny? Like, did you look at yourself and say, oh man, like I'm skinny or, or like what was going on in your mind there that you, you, and you did mention it a little bit, but what was kind of going on in your mind there that kept you just going further and wanting to keep going? Yeah, no, I, I saw myself as fat still. And, and again, that just, that's the distortion of the, of the mind when, when you're dealing yeah. with an eating disorder. Um, I mean, you can see my ribs poking out through my stomach and I still thought I was fat. And, mm. uh, you know, I, the goal was to just get a flat stomach. Like I just want a flat stomach. And, and until I got that, I wasn't going to stop. And, and, you know, looking back at it now, even if I did have that, I, I wouldn't have stopped. It would have been something else. And so, mm. yeah, looking in the mirror, no, I didn't see skinny Terry. I didn't see skin and bones, Terry. I saw, right. Hey, there's a little bit more fat that we need to get rid of. I gotcha. Man, it's so twisted and it's so crazy that, you know, when you're when you're a kid, you know, when you're 10, 11, 12 or you're, you know, in your early teen years or whatever, and you're going through, especially going through that, those like really formative years where a lot of things just in you are changing a lot of things that you're not sure of. And then I think everything, the environment that you're in where, you know, kids are kids around you are being exposed to more and more things but on different levels and some kids are you know getting exposed to some very like hardcore things and then you're you're just hearing about you know you're maybe you're you have friends that are that start talking to you about 
different things, right? They start talking to you, whether it's about drinking or drugs or sex or whatever, or like, you know, maybe pornography becomes an issue or like just whatever. But during that age period, it's like your mind is bombarded by so many different things. Um, I, I don't know. Did you mention were you was like bullying a factor at all for you? I can't remember if you mentioned that or not. I think you just said some kids were maybe calling you like fat or something. But was, was that in, a factor for you as well? Yeah. In, in my younger years, like those, okay. you know, first few grades, definitely um, kind of bullied for my weight. Um, I remember even as a sixth grader, there'd be a, a guy on the playground that would spit you know, in my face and on my head, you know, cause he didn't like yeah, me, yeah, yeah. didn't like the way that I looked. And so, yeah, that definitely <laughs> dealt with some of that. Um, you know, when I got into intermediate school, seventh, eighth grade, wasn't really a whole lot of bullying there, but, um, like you said, you're going through changes and that desire for like girls to like you that developed. And I always thought that, well, because I'm fat, no girl is going to like me. And so that mm. was a motivator too, you know, as far as the whole, dropping weight is well maybe if i you know get down to a certain number if i look a certain way then maybe a girl will like me you know and this is you know yeah. and, and you know the eighth grade mind right and uh yeah. man looking back at it now it's just like yeah it's just so twisted and distorted yeah and i i guess what i was um getting at the reason i asked you that question is because there's there's so much there's just so much pressure going on in a mind of a kid who's like doesn't their mind's not developed yet like their brain's not developed yet their frontal lobe's right. not developed yet and it's like the 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 all this extra weight and pressure beyond just like the normal pre like even if even if none of that was going on there's still you know the pressure of like maybe you want to do good in school or maybe you want to do good at a sport you're doing or you know whatever kind of like the almost like the healthy pressures of life right but then you had all these other things and then in some cases you know thankfully this wasn't the case for you but in you know in some cases you know you add in you know all these extra pressures that come from the home so many times maybe you're being beat up at home or you're not being you know you're not being looked after or you know you're in a broken home situation and i i just think and like young people are just so under attack from so many different areas and how we could like be living in close proximity to people and with adults too for sure but like how we could be living in such close proximity to people that have so much going on like they feel like they're literally carrying the weight of the world on their shoulders and like at any minute it could just completely collapse and not even know it though like we could be so close to people that we don't even know like we don't know what's going on when they get home from school we don't know what's what kind of anxieties and pressures and things like that that they're dealing with and so i think that you know what you do <laughs> as a therapist as a marriage and family therapist is so important it's so key and i love that you said that even some of like the struggles that you had and how eventually god broke you out of it and how that played a factor in kind of why you're so passionate about what you do today in this field and just wanting to see people walking in freedom, walking in victory, living healthy lives. And it's so key, but I feel like, is this the case, Terry? Still, I, I, I feel like in the church that there really can be such a, 
kind of like a stigma attached to the therapy thing probably in real in in all of life but i feel like i feel like anyway more so in the church and kind of like this this idea of if i go to therapy then i'm first of all i'm admitting that something's wrong with me and so that makes me feel weak kind of like that's kind of like maybe the the base level of it but then also what are other people going to think of me if i do this then they're going to know that things are not all together and i i just i i think that you know people that i mean it's not it, let, let me just say this to admit that you have a problem to admit that you have a struggle takes so much strength it yeah. takes so much courage and that's usually you know they say that's the first step to recovery right but it's also probably i mean in many many cases it's probably the hardest step to take because it's like literally changing the direction of your life without having the answers it's kind of like making that initial decision there's gonna be a ton like tons of smaller of like daily decisions and smaller decisions that are going to help you eventually get to that place that you want to be to completely walk in freedom right but it's kind of like that initial like big decision where i'm actually making a decision without knowing how to do it to turn my life from this direction to a completely opposite direction it takes so much courage but yet there's such a stigma i think attached to it and people look at it as something that oh if i gotta take my family to therapy i gotta admit that i need couples counseling or you know whatever it is then i'm i feel like that's a weakness and i wish that we could s flip that switch in our minds and in culture and in society to be like no like that's what we all we all need it at some point in our lives right and to yep. and instead of it's 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 such a it's such a burden to carry around these things and to not be open and honest about how we feel and what's really going on and this and the struggles and the battles that are going on in our mind and it's a good thing and it's and it actually shows character and resiliency and courage and all these good things when you're actually willing to say i don't have this all together and i need help so i'm just curious and then we'll get into some other stuff like um from your perspective as a as a marriage and family therapist do you see that as a as a real thing as a real problem um the just that that stigma that's so often particularly in church settings but however you want to you know tackle that what does that look like to you from your perspective as someone who works in this field yeah i think the stigma is definitely still there uh inside the church and outside the church i'm super blessed where i actually kind of work with my local church i'm sitting in one of their offices right now and they're That's actually awesome. having me speak on sunday uh, about mm -hmm. mental health and so i love that they are wanting to be more informed about mental health but i think the stigma is definitely still there i mean i even have parents bringing their teenagers uh to see me and they'll tell me straight up that we didn't we don't want to do this we, we don't want our kid on medication we're only here because you know the school recommended it or whatever like never because the kid said they wanted it even though they're wanting it that there there there's still some resistance there and there's still some of that stigma there and man i i equate mental health to like physical health if you had something wrong with you physically you'd go into a doctor to get it checked out at least most people would right if you got something wrong mentally emotionally it's okay to go in and get that checked out too mm. it's it's it all fa falls under that health umbrella 
And so, yeah, yeah, I think we're making strides. I think that that stigma is continuing to uh, erode, but it's definitely still there. I see that all the time. And man, it's, it's so cool when I have a 50-year-old or a 60-year-old client come in and sit down and for the first time ever in their life, they're actually talking about what they're feeling and what they're going through. Mm. They're, I'm the first person they're, they're talking about that. Hey, I was sexually abused as a kid. You know, I was hmm. um, physically abused by my dad or or whatever it is. And you can just kind of see that like that weight lifted off their shoulder yeah. as they show that courage, like you said, in not being ashamed and not hiding it, but bringing it to light. And I think, you know, especially as Christians, it's so important to bring these things to light when we just <laughs> stuff it and and keep it and keep it in the darkness. That's exactly where the enemy wants it. He wants us to stay um, hidden and and to be ashamed and and to feel that embarrassment so that we're kind of in bondage to it. But mm. by simply talking about it and bringing it to light, man, that's I almost feel like that's half the battle. You just got to talk about it. And like you said, that takes courage, but you can do it. There's tons of people who are going to be willing to listen to you and to help you. You just got to take that first step. Amen. And Terry, what do you think is or should be the role of the church when it comes to helping people through mental health issues and things of that nature? And when I, when I say the church, I, I literally mean, I don't mean just like the body of Christ. I mean, like the actual churches where people go, like the community that you're a part of. Um, what, what do you think is that role? I, I know, <clears throat> I mean, not every church is going to have a licensed therapist or mental health counselor, like on staff or something like that. Um, but what do you, what do you think in general, the role of our, of the church should be in the lives of people when it comes to helping them walk through mental health issues? Yeah. I mean, I think the first thing is they need to be educated. You know, we, we live in a world where we really don't have an excuse to not be educated on this stuff. Hmm. It's so it's prevalent. And with everything online, like it's so easy to whether it's a YouTube video or a research article or you can, you know, take an online training, whatever it is like we need to be educated. And, and like you said, that doesn't mean that all the pastors need to become like licensed or anything like that. But to just have like a basic knowledge of what mental health is, you know, I I've heard horror stories from other people where when they approach their pastor for like help, you know, they go straight to, well, you know, what kind of sin are, are you doing? Or, mm. you know, you know, what kind of demonic activity were you exposed to? Or they, they keep it hush hush, like, well, we don't want the whole church to find out about this, right? And it just kind of perpetuates that stigma. And so I think the first step is really just being aware uh, and, and educating yourself that this is a thing. This is a thing that people in your congregation are dealing with. Uh, like you mentioned earlier, Duke, they may be uh, putting on that face and you would have no idea on the outside that they're struggling. But I guarantee you there's someone in your church inside who's struggling mightily and they need someone. Hmm. And then I think just even having like a list of resources ready for people, you know, having a list of people within your area, within your community. Hey, these are some therapists. These are some psychiatrists. These are some groups even that that you can go to 
to get help, you know, to help point people in the right direction. Um, I think those are two major steps. And I think pretty easy steps that, you know, pastors and, and churches all across America should be doing. Amen. That's awesome. And as a, as a believer, do you think that it's important for believers to see Christian counselors and therapists, or do you think they just need to see somebody that can help them? Yeah, that's a great question. I think it really depends on the person. I mean, God, God will and does use anyone, right? Um, and so I think it's really up to the person. You know, I I get a lot of people that want to come to me because they know I'm a Christian and I'm going to incorporate faith into my counseling. I'm going to talk about that. There is a spiritual component to this. Obviously, there's, you know, biological component and environmental factors and relational factors. There's also um, a battle going on in the spiritual realm right now over your mm -hmm. mental health. And so we'll talk about that. Um, the number one determining factor of if therapy is going to be successful is the relationship between the client and the therapist. So that's, I guess that's what I would encourage people is whether they're a Christian or not, if you have a good relationship with that person, if you feel comfortable opening up to them, if you feel like the therapy is helpful, if you feel like, I mean, even if you're not seeing a Christian therapist, if you feel like the advice they're giving you still falls in line with like a biblical perspective of things, then by all means, keep seeing that person. It's really that fit between the the client and the therapist that that's really going to decide how successful is therapy. Hmm. Oh, that man. Yeah. That <clears throat> that was awesome. I that was. Uh, I appreciate your perspective on that for sure. How important is? Actually, let me let me let me ask you like this. Um, as the body of Christ, right? Like we're we're supposed to walk with people like we're supposed to be willing to walk with people through challenges and to through through things that they're going through and obviously there are there are times where you know there's something that's like beyond <laughs> beyond it's beyond you just need a friend right now like it's beyond you just need a friend to stand with you and walk through this like i'm willing to be your friend and to walk with you through this but i also think that you should go see my buddy terry because he's like legit <laughs> he knows what he's doing and he can really help you with this or to go see uh, a therapist go see a mental health counselor go see a psychiatrist you know whatever the case may be right um but in that walking with people through some messy issues and things like that i, I think that there's that to an extent all of us in the in the body of christ we should kind of be willing at least to learn like how to better be present with people and how to better walk with people through those kinds of things. You mentioned a moment ago, like I can listen to you and, and just that word listening really, really stuck out to me. How important is listening and how can we just in daily life with people that we're walking uh, life with, how can we learn to be better listeners? Yeah, that's a great question. I think it comes down to active listening. You know, there's a difference between listening and active yeah. listening. We 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 live in a society where we almost listen to respond. We don't listen to understand. Right. And right. that's what I would encourage people is listen to understand. 
actively listen, like focus on what are they, what are they saying? What are not even what they're saying, but what, what is their face saying? What is their yeah. body saying? Like pay attention to, to those cues as well. Um, and, and be willing to not feel like you have to fix the problem. I, I feel like so many people, especially us mm. as men, it's, we're, we're kind of wired to be like problem fixers. Uh, if they got a problem, you know, we can fix it. And if being married to my beautiful wife for 10 years has taught me anything is that 9.9 <laughs> times out of 10, when she comes to me with the problem, she doesn't want me to fix it. She just wants me to just listen and, and support yeah. and to acknowledge that it makes sense why she's feeling that way to validate. And I think that's the key of, of it all too, is to validate that person. You may not mm, understand where they're good. coming from. You may not agree with what they're saying, but to validate them to, to you know, and validation can be something as simple as I, I can see why you feel that way, or if that makes sense. You know, if I was in your shoes, I'd probably feel that way too. It's just that statement of acknowledgement that helps that other person know that, okay, it's not just me. I, I'm not, you know, I'm not crazy. I'm, mm. I'm not alone in this. Someone gets me. And so, yeah. yeah, man, act actively listening to people, listen with the intent to understand instead of to respond. Mm. Sorry, Terry, I didn't hear what you said because I was just thinking about what I was going to say. <laughs> just, well, let's practice some active listening. <laughs> here, that's, Duke. That's, what it, that's what it is, right? Like, yeah, uh, that, that's what it is. Like, I feel like in conversation, a lot of times we're only maybe hearing, I don't know, 50, 60 percent of what the person is saying because we're already kind of like formulating our response. And yep. just to just to be very honest, that's something as a as a host of a show like this, like it it's something that I think about a lot. And it's something that I'm trying to get better at because I well, first of all, I don't think and I'm not putting myself down. I just I don't think I'm naturally a very good listener. So I have to work at it and I can get distracted like I can be talking to somebody and kind of get I can very easily kind of hone in on one thing that they said and then kind of miss out on other stuff. And sometimes just for the sake of my own growth, like I'll go back and I'll listen to like a podcast episode. And I'm like, I totally missed. Like, I didn't even hear that. Like, I didn't even hear that they said that because I was they said one thing and then my mind went to that. And then I'm just I, I'm trying to listen. Like, I'm not trying to be a jerk, but I'm trying to also, you know, not forget what they said because I know I want to come back to it. And so there's like a lot of stuff going on up there. And so I, that's something that I'm like, I actively work on because I want to become a better listener. I know that it's it's so important. And so often, I think that listening to somebody, like if we would make it less about now, I mean, now I'm not talking about podcasting anymore, just talking about being in life with with somebody yeah. who's maybe opening their heart to you or telling you about something. I mean, what we say is what we say the most important thing? Or is it more important that we're just present with them? I think it's both, but I think to start off with, yeah, it's definitely more important to just be present with that person. You know, if, if they're coming to talk to you about something, just listen. You know, you, 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 again, you don't need to have all the answers. You don't need to fix the person's yeah. problem. Um, I, I think back to Job, you know, when when God took everything away from Job, his three buddies came and for a week they just sat there with him. Like yeah, they didn't right. talk. They just mm -hmm. sat there with him. 
it wasn't until they actually started talking that they kind of like started to dig a hole for themselves, right? Because they just yeah. started accusing Job of what sin did you do, right? So, I mean, yes, definitely it's important what we say. Words have power. But I, I, when people are coming to us, I wouldn't focus on what you're saying. I would focus on just being present with that person. And, mm-hmm. and that can be just sitting in silence and looking at them, making, maintaining eye contact with them. Could be just laying a hand on, on like their knee as they're talking or wrapping them around your arms as they're talking. Sometimes that is the most powerful thing that you can do. Yeah. And that would mean yeah. so much more than talking. Yeah. Well, because I think a lot of times when we 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 talk, we make it about us. Like we kind of make it about like like oh, that was a really good point I just had there, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but the other thing that you said, the, a word that you mentioned that that's I think is so important as well, which goes along with listening, is you use the word reassuring, and how important it is sometimes just to just to reassure somebody. And you know, I think for you know, for example, as a as a parent, I have a my oldest son just turned twelve. Wow. And so it's getting into the crazy years, right? It's yeah. like just kind of getting into some stuff. And and he's been talking since the beginning of this school year. He's been talking about how, you know, he's deal, you know, he's got a lot of anxiety and all this kind of stuff. And um, you know, there's there's been times where my my thought <laughs> my thought has been with not I'm not saying specifically with this but just different things where my kids have come to me with stuff and where my initial thought is to just be like just get over it like like just 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 stop like it's you know and 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 sometimes that might be what they need to hear like sometimes depending on what it is but I've I've looked back on some of the things that I've said and and done and I've said you know what like that was actually really insensitive and I should have recognized that like my child coming to me with something, it was an opportunity for me to, to let them express themselves, you know, at the very least to let them, to let them know that it's okay to have emotions, to let them know that it's okay to feel what they're feeling. And so often I think we can approach people from our perspective of like what works for me, or we can approach people from, you know, even just from that thing where we can kind of be indifferent because we just want them to be better. And maybe we can't put ourselves in their shoes to understand why they're feeling what they're feeling. And it might not make sense to us. Like if you have no idea the, the, um, I almost said the theology, the psychology behind why somebody would cut themselves, you could look at that person and just be very insensitive and be like, well, just stop. Right. Like you just don't have to do that. Like, like, you know what I mean? And and we can just kind of dismiss things that people are dealing with. And we you alluded to this earlier. You mentioned, you know, sometimes in the church that that's the kind of thing that has happened to people or they go to a leader or they go to a parent or, you know, whatever. And it's just kind of their their emotional struggle or the issue that they're dealing with is kind of brushed away as, well, you just need to pray harder. Or you just need to stop doing something that you're doing or, you know, kind of making it about this like over spiritualized thing rather than being willing to get down on that level with them and to love them and to be Jesus to them in that moment when, you know, recognizing, okay, there's like some brokenness here. There's some there's some there's something going on here. And even if I don't fully understand it, like maybe maybe I can partner with the Holy Spirit to 
to to just as you said to listen and then I, I think listening listening as well like listening to what the person is saying listening maybe to what they're not saying even and also listening to the holy spirit and what he would say like you know maybe he's just leading you to it just dude just shut up just shut up like don't say anything <laughs> right or like right. you know what i mean it's like that kind of thing where I, I feel like there's times like that where i'm about to kind of put my own thoughts out there for this person because i want to help like i legitimately want to help but the holy spirit's like don't just don't just don't yep. don't make this about you because it's not about you it's about this person yeah yeah like you said i i think people tend to have a habit of just talking about themselves. And I've had, man, I, I've lost count of how many people that I've had come into my office where they said, well, I tried talking to this person. I tried talking to my friend or my parents, but then they just kind of started talking about themselves and how they dealt wow. you know, with the same thing. And then it became about them. And then you know, that kind of turned that person off from wanting to open up anymore because it's just like, well, no one's actually going to listen to me. They're just going to make it about themselves. And so, wow. yeah, I, I, again, just sitting and, and, and listening and if need be asking questions, like it's okay to ask questions to gather like more information, or if you're kind of confused on something, you know, asking questions and asking them in a way where it's just like, Hey, can you tell me more about this? Or I was, I was a little confused about this. Can you maybe speak to that more instead of questions mm -hmm. like, well, why are you doing that? Or what are you thinking? <laughs> you know, like those yeah. dismissive, insensitive yeah. questions. Like, again, and I feel like that's another skill in and of itself is knowing how to ask questions. Mm. You know, it's not my dad drilled this into my mind growing up, but it's not what you say. It's how you say it. Right. And so being mindful, being able to have that EQ, the emotional intelligence. Yes. To kind of read the room, read the person and match the, the affect and, and the behavior needed for that situation. Right. And, and, and it just takes time. It takes uh, mindfulness on our parts. We need to be intentional of doing that because again, our human nature is to just make it about ourselves and do what we think is right. And yeah, I, I love what you said about, yeah, just checking in with the Holy spirit. I mean, he, he's the ultimate helper, right? He will let you know, what are you supposed to do in this moment? And maybe what he's do, what he's telling you to do makes you feel uncomfortable but trust him, hmm. be obedient with it anyways. Yeah, that's so good. Well, Terry, I don't know. I didn't ask you how much time you have. So are, are we up against the clock on your end or? I got all day, man. Can I, can I keep going? <laughs> yeah, we're good. Because <laughs> I did want to circle back to one other thing, man. I, you know, you mentioned growing up and having a lot of anxiety as a kid and throughout your teenage years and stuff like that. I'm just curious what that looked like for you. So a, a lot of it was being away from my mom. You know, I, I was a kid who I was, especially when I was really young, like I always wanted to kind of be like in proximity of my mom. And, you know, as a therapist now, it, it's interesting going back and like kind of like analyzing, well, yeah, why, why was that? And I think, yeah. you know, for, for me, I just needed that reassurance um, that I was needing. Like for me, that was like a form of love. That was the love that I needed is just the reassurance that I'm here, that I'm not leaving, that things are OK. I mean, whatever it was in that situation. But, man, I, I dealt with a ton of anxiety. I remember like fourth grade even on Wednesdays, I think at like 
one o'clock school would get out at mm-hmm. like three o'clock at one o'clock some of the kids uh would be bussed over to the catholic school in town which wasn't by the jail <laughs> and they would uh spend the last couple hours there doing catholic school and i would get so anxious that they wouldn't be bussed back uh to our class by the end of the day because if they weren't then i'm not going to be able to get on the bus on time i'm going to be late i'm not going to be able to go oh, home okay. and 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 see my mom and 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 you yeah. know my mind would just go carry on you know all those different ways and so yeah man i think for me it was just i needed a lot of reassurance and i don't know if it was like maybe if i felt like i wasn't getting that from my parents or from teachers or from people in general but i think for me that's kind of what that anxiety looked like where i would just uh worry and yeah i would have crying spells in school i would have even crying spells in like you know religion classes wednesday nights like oh what if my mom doesn't come and pick me up or what if my dad doesn't uh pick me up at at this time and like my parents are great people like they they never like not you know did that stuff and so it, it was just an irrational thought it was it was an irrational worry and it was something that i struggled with probably you know up until high school when i was going through the eating disorder stuff uh i kind of addressed the anxiety that way and uh man I, I again i'm just thankful to the holy spirit that i'm not i'm not an anxious person for the most mm. part nowadays do i have times of anxiety yeah because i'm human but i don't live in that place anymore like i feel like god's awesome. definitely delivered me from that and so yeah that's kind of what the anxiety looked like for me man that's all that's awesome that you said that 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 the the outcome <laughs> of the holy yeah. spirit delivering you from that um I'm I'm self-conscious now about want about making this about me, <laughs> but but I I just I I relate I relate because I um you know I grew up as as a kid I was dealing I just was like constantly afraid I was constantly I, I had this just huge f- fear in me of somebody close to me dying um, I remember like just about every night man I would be like if my dad was a few minutes late getting home from work or something or on those nights where it'd be raining around the time where dad's supposed to be coming home from work it, you know my grandma would pick me up from school some days and if she wasn't there you know when school got out it, it was just like all this stuff and I, my mind immediately went to today's the day like mm. tragedy struck you know what i mean like i would kind of like have like fantasize about you know, a phone call coming in and just like devastating news. And it was just this um, just intense fear to the point that I mean, I was afraid of everything, man, as a kid. Like I remember at nighttime, I would if I woke up during the middle of the night and everyone else was asleep, there was no way I was going back to sleep until the sun started coming up. There was just something in me that was so afraid of the nighttime. I would hear like all the little noises in the house. I would get up, dude, I'd get up, I'd get out of bed and I would like go and check stuff out, make sure the doors were still locked and no one had come in. Like, just like, I I just, I had that all the time. And I always felt like even I was afraid to really be around people, especially like bigger kids for a long time. Um, Once I started kind of when I got into high school and I started playing sports and so I was like a freshman and I was kind of mixed in with juniors and seniors, like I kind of started to break out of it a little bit more. But I was always afraid, like as a kid, I was always afraid to be around like 
high school kids because I just always thought they were going to be mean or they were going to. And honestly, they never really were. I mean, they were, you know, they weren't always nice, but it wasn't. I don't really even have a experience to look back on to to say, like, this is why it's like this. But there's something about. There's, there's something about the way that we can kind of just trick ourselves or kind of trick our minds to perceiving something that is not the real it's not reality but it becomes our reality because we've perceived it that way does that make sense yeah it's, yeah i mean it's like the acronym for fear false evidence appearing real appearing real yeah that that's what anxiety is yeah, yeah. and you know and you yeah go ahead and, you know, as, as you're talking about your experience, like it, it's kind of like bringing revelation to me. It's cool how the Holy Spirit's working, even just through this uh, interview, Duke, like looking back at it, I think, you know, the, the root of anxiety for me was probably just the, the fear of being alone. And um, mm. again, like I don't have any memories of like, you know, being a- alone, like any traumatizing memories. And I mean, yeah. in fact, as I got a little older, like I, I, I liked my solitude. I kind of liked being alone, but I think there was just a, <laughs> I, I think what it came down to was just the insecurity and not having the confidence in myself that I could take care of myself, that I'm going to be okay on my own. Mm, yeah. I think that's really what it, what yeah. it stemmed down to for me. Yeah. Hmm. You know, another thing that just, that just occurred to me is I, I don't know. I mean, of course, God knows our end from the beginning, and I I, lo- I love what God says in in the first chapter of Jeremiah when He's calling Jeremiah, and He says, He says, "Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you." And I think that that's that's interesting because it's like God God knew him before He formed him, and so He formed him, He formed us, He created us, He designed us based on what He knew about us. So he knows us perfectly, intricately, and based on that, that's how he he forms us, he fashions us. It's like that picture of a pot, you know, potter um, with the clay and and bringing that thing into into shape, bringing that thing to life. And that's how God has created and designed us. Now I don't know to what extent the enemy knows about God's plan for our lives from like the the beginning. I don't know. But one thing that I do see consistently (laughs) with people is that, you know, the enemy is always going to attack at the area of, you know, where your greatest anointing lies, you know? And so it's interesting. You just mentioned kind of, you know, that part of your mind that was under attack and you know how god you you developed a relationship with god and you have experienced freedom in your life to now you're in this place where you get to help other people you know walk through and experience freedom and you know the enemy is always going to attack and it doesn't necessarily mean that i'm weak there it, it it what what it might mean is that um, this is actually <laughs> this is actually like something that God has called me and destined me to do to be to become, and the reason why I'm actually struggling so much with this area of my life is because there's someone 
out there that's terrified of me becoming who God created me to be. And so exactly. they're trying to, you know, stop it and and whatever. So as you were talking, I kind of saw that, you know, scenario playing out a little bit. Yeah, dude, you, you just brought the fire there. I mean, yeah, that's that's all true. I mean, the enemy attacks what he fears most about us. Right. Yeah, and good. I think ultimately he fears us coming into the fulfillment of those plans and of the destiny God has for us. And yeah, I mean, I've seen that in, in my life, you know, attacking, whether it's my identity or my peace or whatever it is, you know, that's, that's what he's going to go after. And so I, I love what you said there, that it doesn't mean that that's a weakness. It means that that's actually maybe your, your calling. And that's why you're mm. so attacked with it. And so I, I would just encourage anyone out there that, if, if you feel like you're being attacked in a specific area right now, whatever it may be, whether it's, mm -hmm. you know, a relationship with someone or, um, you know, a, 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 uh, an illness or, you know, just your thoughts or your identity or whatever it may be, I'd really encourage you to just kind of sit and, and pray and, and kind of get a word from the Holy Spirit to see, is that, is he actually calling you? out of that you know mm -hmm. is he actually going to be using that area of of you being attacked as part of like what you're going to be used to bring people to know him in the future i'm not wording this, yeah. this well at all but no you're um, on it man you know the, the the weakness may actually be your anointing is basically yes. what i'm trying to say and um man how how amazing is it that we serve a god that he takes <laughs> the parts where maybe we feel weak or unqualified yep. or unequipped and that's what he uses. And I mean, scripture yeah. is full of examples of that. It's just amazing. That's so good, man. Bro, I appreciate you so much, man. I appreciate your time and for having this conversation with me. And I think that it's really, really um, going to be helpful and impactful for the people that that get a chance to listen. And uh, yeah, man, just thanks again for joining me. I uh, want to make sure that we point some people to um, your podcast, first of all, and then any other uh, places that that might be a good idea to point some people. Uh, but you have your podcast testimonies with Terry. And man, I, um, by the way, so I, I was able to I listened to the episode you did with Trevor Tyson. And I listened to the episode you did with George A. Wood. Man, that was a good conversation. And I and I'm not just saying this, like, because you're on, you know, you're on the podcast, but like, I, I really, I, I really enjoy what you do and how you do it. I think you ask really great questions. I think you're a really great interviewer. And I'm just like listening to you like, oh, yeah, I got to <laughs> like take notes on like how to ask better questions and stuff like that. Because I really do think that the way that you ask your questions, you give people a real chance to express themselves and for for them to tell their story. And uh, I just, you know, I love it. I think it's a great atmosphere for learning and for growing and and a real atmosphere for just becoming more aware of some of the things that you are whether intentionally unintentionally or whatever but the things that you're drawing attention and awareness to in uh, in your podcast episodes through these conversations and testimonies that come out so i think it's a big deal man and i think you're doing a great job and i think that everybody should uh check out the podcast testimonies with terry what what would be a good way to uh, point some people to that yeah well first off thank you so much for those kind words it's uh man this, it's just a privilege to be 
you know, given a platform and, and to be used by God in this way to just share stories of hope. Uh, you can find Testimonies with Terry wherever you get your podcast, you know, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Uh, this season, I started uh, doing the video versions as well, so you can find it on YouTube. I believe the nice. YouTube channel is TW Terry Pod. That's also where you can find me on Instagram, TW Terry Pod. And then I have a Facebook page as well, Testimonies with Terry. Um, I love interacting with people. That That's kind of been yeah. a, a goal from the start is I, I want there to be almost kind of like this relationship between me and all the listeners. And that's why I love having the the guests do like the follow-up questions um, or the, the Q&A videos that they do. You know, they answer questions that listeners yeah. send in. And I just love it. I, I love it being um, just kind of this relational thing where, where you are part of the pod, right? And so check it out. I'd, uh, I'd love to connect with you guys. And I hope that you're blessed by uh, the testimonies that you listen to. Love it, man. That's very cool that you do that. That's 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 a that's a really cool thing. I saw some of those uh, on your Instagram, and uh, yeah, the the Q and A's after the fact is that's super cool. I love I love that's a very very cool format. So yeah. Um, do you are you more comfortable on in the interviewer chair or being or being the guest <laughs> or is it doesn't it, it doesn't matter? <laughs> yeah, I don't know, man. That's a good question. I. I I haven't done a whole lot of interviews. The more that I'm doing, the more of like confident I feel like I'm becoming. But I'd probably say right now I'm more confident and comfortable being the interviewer just because mm -hmm. that's essentially what I do for my job all day too, right? Like I'm asking people questions. And so really hosting the podcast is kind of an extension of my job. Uh, I'm not doing therapy, obviously, with the guests, but right. just kind of that similar um style and, and approach. So yeah, I'd, I'd still say probably the, the interviewer chairs where I'm most comfortable at for now. Yeah. <laughs> well, man, uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna start to wind this down and, uh, let you go. But before we do that, uh, would you share, um, what you've shared today, man, is honestly, it's been very, very encouraging and, and I appreciate you uh, listening to the Holy spirit, even throughout this conversation and how you've been answering questions and stuff. Um, just bef before we go, though, like what's one more thing that you would just say to somebody who is, you know, dealing with something? Maybe they're dealing with some of that anxiety or fear that we talked about, um, or maybe that's, you know, something that's manifesting in their life in a different way, um, whether it's through, you know, self-harm or through some other kind of um, just, you know, harmful behavior or just some kind of a mental health struggle or something like that. That's an extremely broad question because it's a, there's a, there's a vast spectrum there, but I mean, what's just, uh, something, some final thought of encouragement that you would give to somebody who's just out there struggling and maybe does feel alone or doesn't know exactly how to go forward. Yeah. I think the, the biggest thing is that there is help out there. Like, even though it may feel like you're just going to struggle with this the rest of your life or that you're going to stay this way, doesn't mean that you're actually going to stay that way or feel that way. Like there is help out there. And I think even being very mindful of the words that you use to talk about yourself as you're struggling, you know, I, mm -hmm. I, I call clients out on this pretty much, you know, every day where they say like, I'm anxious, I'm depressed, I'm traumatized. And I'm just like, I don't, I don't think that's, I don't think that that's your identity. I think that's how you're yes. feeling, 
but that's not your identity. And so I always tell people like, you know, phrase it that way. I'm feeling depressed. I'm feeling anxious. Like don't take on those uh, those yeah. illnesses, those struggles as your identity. Don't claim yeah. what was never supposed to be yours, right? We're supposed mm. to live on earth as it is in heaven. That means we live from heaven to earth, not earth to heaven. And there Come is on. no anxiety. There is no depression in heaven. Unfortunately, in this fallen world that we live in, there is, but it's just a struggle that we go through. It's not who we are. So be yeah. careful of how you're speaking about yourself, of the power that you're giving to whatever it is that you're struggling with and seek out help. There are so many good therapists out there. There are so many resources out there uh, to, to get help and, and to get healing and, and breakthrough. The enemy wants you to feel like you are just going to be stuck in this and that there is no hope that you're never going to change. That is a lie from the pit of hell. We need to rebuke that in the name of Jesus Christ, and we need to go after the, the healing and, and the restoration that only the Holy Spirit can bring. <laughs> Come on, man. That was so good. That was so good. 100,000% on board with everything you just said. Um, man, I want to jump in and keep going. But I feel like that's just a very, very beautiful way uh, to end this episode. I appreciate you again, man. And, and uh, thank you for your time and being here uh, with me today and having this conversation. And on a broader scale, thank you for uh, what you're doing to help people just experience freedom and to experience healing and to see families and lives and relationships restored. Uh, it's obviously so needed. And thank you for what you're doing to bring awareness and advocacy to the area of mental health in general with your podcast and through the other things that you do and uh, to kind of be being part of the conversation that is helping to diminish that um, that stigma that is attached uh, to it because as long as people you know as long as we we allow you know the enemy to trick us into thinking that it's a shameful thing to admit where we are whether we're aware of the enemy or not, but to but to live under that stigma of of shame that's so often associated with the things that honestly, on some level, we're all dealing with it. On some level, we're all dealing with something um, that we would probably much rather keep bottled up and not let anybody else know about. But the freedom that comes from uh, just being able to um, to 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 talk with somebody, to be honest and open and vulnerable about the things that you're struggling with and what you're going through. Obviously, you don't need to talk to everybody about it, but um, but you need to talk to somebody. And there's people out there that would love to talk to you. And um, you're, you're, you're worth it. I mean, the, Amen. <laughs> the dream of God for your life is worth you going through this going through the 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 pain and and i know that it's painful it's painful to admit it's painful to to give up that sense of control it's painful to surrender that and it's not an easy thing to do um but it's it doesn't make you weak it makes you strong it makes you courageous and your life and who you are and the incredible incredible future and destiny that god has for you is just so worth it it's yeah. so worth taking those steps um, 
to uh, reach out to somebody because yeah, you're valuable. And I love that you went there, man, on the identity piece. It's, it's everything, man. I think it's, you know, it's what's, it's what's missing (laughs) from, from so much of life. It's what it's, yeah, it's like, if we could just see ourselves even just a tiny fraction of the way that God sees us, you know, if, if you could see yourself as just a tiny fraction of how valuable God thinks that you are and that he created you out of that, like he created you out of that, that passion for you because your life matters that much to an all knowing, <laughs> perfect, loving God who who just loved you that much that he wanted to create you and and he wanted you to be here so that he could spend eternity with you like man if we could just if we could just remember that man i feel like when we're going through nonsense and we allow we we just allow so much stuff we 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 just carry stuff around for so long and it's just so not worth it because first of all we've got a god out there that just he loves us so much and he wants us to be free and and I, and I think so much of that freedom that he's designed it this way to be in community. And so the idea, the fact, I know I just keep this conversation going, but the fact that there is such a stigma and there is so much shame attached to this, it's it's such a scheme of the devil. And it goes yes. against the, the nature of God. Like God isn't like, no, you got to be stronger than this. You got to be like that. No, in, in your weakness, his power is perfected. Yes. Like in Amen. your weakness, he's made even stronger. And so admitting and I, I don't know if there's someone that's that needs to hear this or not, man, or if I'm just, you know, whatever. But if I'm just ranting, uh, I think maybe there's someone that needs to hear this. But just your life is so valuable and and your life is so worth taking those steps to just get the help that you need on whatever level that might be. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I always tell clients that we only get one of you right? Like God, Mm -hmm. God, even with twins and triplets or whatever, like they are still uniquely different. There's only one of you. And once you're gone from the world, we're never getting that back. You have Mm -hmm. gifts, you have talents, you have uh, opinions and thoughts that this world needs because we're never going to get that at any other time in history. And so, yeah, to just know that God has so much bigger plans for you than you could ever dream regardless of what your circumstances are right now, yeah, allow him to prove himself faithful. That's what he's going to do. That's, that's what, that's, that's his part. Your part is to just surrender. Sometimes the strongest thing you can do is to allow yourself to be weak. Yes. Come on. Whew. Well, uh, my friends, thank you so much for uh, joining us for this conversation. I pray that this uh, conversation that it blessed you, maybe challenged you, uh, maybe challenged the way that you think, or um, yeah, something <laughs> brought some kind of value to your life. I'm sure that it did because I know for me, I was very, very encouraged and uh, appreciate Terry so much for for his time and appreciate you guys for checking out this episode. Um, yeah, if you would like to show some love to the podcast, you can do that by subscribing by sharing or by leaving a review or a comment or something like that. Appreciate that so much. And again, Terry, thank you, brother. 
Hey, thank you. This was uh, this was awesome, and I'm looking forward to having you on my podcast. We gotta get that together. Yeah, let's do it, man. And we'll do this again uh, some uh, someday again. <laughs> we'll do this again. Oh, wait, hang on. <laughs> I think I'm out of words. I think I've spoken all the words I can speak for now. It's Friday, we will right? do this again for sure uh, someday soon. Hey, look, because looking I, forward again, to it, man. man. Yeah. <laughs> It is Friday. That's my excuse. <laughs> All right. Thanks again, brother. Thank you, man. Bye, everybody.